It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! This week, starring special guest star, Mr. Jeff Steinman! Yeah! <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, fake audience. Thank you, fake band, and welcome, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> We've had Jeff on the show before. Uh, Jeff is many things. Uh, first of all, Jeff's really smart. Now, I know I'm putting a tremendous burden on you, but he, he's, he's really smart. And he's the kind of guy that when he can't solve a problem with existing software, he just writes his own. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, um, where do I start? Well, I could tell you that, yeah, you know what, I'm going to keep it simple. Jeff is the CEO of Warp 4 Music. Uh, is it Warp 4 Music Technology or so, Warp 4 Music? Yeah, so I, I have a software company called Warp 4 Technologies. Right. And then kind of a division of that is Warp 4 Music Production. Okay. So we have two separate websites too. Warp Four. It's spelled W A R P I V. Roman numeral four. Roman numeral four stands for the fourth dimension, time. So it's a play on words. Time warp. Okay. A little nerdy, but uh, but actually, <laughs> uh, the software uh, uh, technology that my company develops is known as time warp. Okay. And so that's why we call ourselves Warp Four. And and the. How did you get into music software? Because, first of all, his stuff is not like a $39 library that you go by. We'll get into that in a minute. But what made you decide to create your own sample libraries? Well, let me go back a little bit. Uh, so my background, when I started college, I was a music major. Really? And where, where were you going? And I went to Cal State Northridge. Okay. Oh, was, man. So uh, you're totally a local yeah. boy. All right. I was a trumpet player and a, and a drummer. And um, I was literally, I, I probably spent eight to ten hours a day on the trumpet. Maybe another hour having fun on the drums. Okay. And um, when, when I started college, uh, my first semester, I realized that I wanted to do more things than just music. And I had to make a decision. Either this was going to be my life and nothing else. Or why not just enjoy music and go and do some other things too? And I and it was a hard decision, but I ended up um, taking a computer science class. My my first semester had the highest grade in the class, which uh, the teacher was shocked because I'm in a class full of all engineers and computer science majors, and here's this music major. No, here's a drummer. A drummer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Anyway. That's, so, oh, I snorked. I've never snorked on the show. Seven years, my first snork ever. <laughs> so uh, I switched to computer science, yeah. and um, and then they made me take physics as part of the major. How dare they? And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I realized, oh my gosh, physics is the ultimate subject because it's the study of how everything in the universe works. How could I not study physics? So um, he studied high energy particle physics. And uh, we're not talking those little balls that swing back and forth or click clack. We're talking yeah, big pretty, stuff. pretty funny. So I graduated with a double major, went on to grad school. And I remember uh, thinking, OK, what am I going to study in physics? I want to pick the hardest thing. So I went down the list and one of the options was elementary particle physics. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to do that. I want to do advanced particle physics. <laughs> that's, that's the AP class. But, uh, okay. Anyway, uh, it's kind of kind of dorky. But I ended up uh, getting my PhD in <laughs> physics and went on and uh, worked at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. I uh, got involved in supercomputing. Did you work out in Bell Canyon? 
Um, or no, that wasn't JPL. That was something else. Yeah, I'm right. Pasadena. Okay. And um, I was kind of fortunate in 1990. Um, I stumbled onto some new technology. It was actually kind of revolutionary in the world of supercomputing. And that began to propel my career in supercomputing. And eventually, uh, the software that He's I... definitely the smartest guy we've ever had on this show. <laughs> the software I developed found its way into billion-dollar type uh, government programs, and it's had its ups and downs. Right now, we're in kind of a down, but uh, we'll have our ups again. Um, but I ended up, in 2005, starting my own company, okay. uh, Warp 4 Technologies. And I remember, uh, I think that was my first road rally. I had just become a, a member of Taxi about a year earlier. And Did we seem kind of dumb by comparison? No, no, no. <laughs> no you know, it's funny because when I talk to musicians, I am blown away at the creative genius of so many musicians. It, it's funny. I, I just don't, it's not real to me when people say, oh, you're so smart. I, I remember um, getting together with Eric Maringball you know, when we were doing some of our recordings. Sax for, player. Or sax player. And um, I remember telling Eric, I, I was having dinner with him and his wife, and I was telling his wife what I really liked about Eric was he not only has unbelievable technique, but he when, when you hear him solo, it's so musical. It's not like some saxophone player just showing off their, their technical mm -hmm. skills. He is so ridiculously musical. And I, I said, that, that's just genius, pure genius, what you do. And I remember Eric looked at me, and he turns to his wife and goes, see that, honey? I'm a genius. Right? <laughs> you know, and he's like trying to act like I'm some genius, you know, because I, I have a degree in physics or something. Well, but, you, you might be. But, you know, the thing is that, um, look, I'm just a normal guy. I really am. I, I just specialize in what I do. I work hard, and I don't really think I'm, you know, I, in fact, it's funny because when I was studying uh, physics in school, yeah. I always thought I'm the dumbest guy in the class, so I have to work twice as hard as everyone else. And that's how I would get the highest grade in the class. And there was no magic. I mean, I, I'm not, I just always knew whatever I did, I would work harder than anyone else. You still have that work and, ethic. I know that much. I mean, yeah. you know, we know each other a little. We talk on the phone, you know, every now and then we'll have an hour long conversation. So, He's an impressive guy. So here I was, 2005, my first road rally, and I was really inspired. I just started my first comp my, my company, and I was waiting for my first government contract to come in. And I'm hearing all this, like, hey, take the initiative. You know, do it yourself. Get, get in there. Don't be afraid to try. And I remember thinking to myself, um, the compositions I've been writing, you know, I was getting some forwards. I probably, you know, I don't know, twenty percent maybe forward, something it's like not that. Bad. And but I, I knew that the kind of music I wanted to write, a lot of big band and jazz, because being a trumpet player and a jazz drummer, um, I needed a, a trumpets that could get up into the upper register and really, you know, carry the whole big band. And being a trumpet player, I knew exactly what I wanted for a lead trumpet player. So I called up a studio, and I decided I'm going to put my own library together. No one's built a library that actually is, is what I need, and if I need this, maybe someone else will need it. Okay. So I called up a studio and uh, in, out in San Diego, and they said, oh, I don't think we're, we can find what, what you're looking for in uh, San Diego. You probably have to call L.A., find someone in L.A. About an hour later, I get a phone call from the agent. 
And she says, Jeff, I have found the trumpet player in L.A. You have to hire him. And it doesn't matter what he asks you to pay him. You have to hire him. Easy he's for her to say. He's the number one top guy. And he's willing, believe it or not, to do your library. His name is Wayne Bergeron. Oh, okay. And I so, thought you were going to say Doc Severinsen. <laughs> no, Wayne Bergeron. So I went over to his website, and my jaw just dropped when yeah. I listened to him play. And you, you look at his credits. He's played on virtually every movie you can imagine that had trumpets. And if you ever watch a movie and you hear an amazing trumpet player, like hitting high notes or doing some crazy you know, it's solo, him. it's always him. And I'll, I'll go and I'll hear that, and then I'll go to his website. Yep, that's Wayne. So you decided to build a library and put him out of work. So it's funny <laughs> because when when uh, when we started the session, he was really worried. Like, don't tell anybody it's me, because um, maybe his friends, you know, right? Would, would I'll take the money, but don't that. tell anybody. So I had to kind of start out a little bit secretive, but people began to you know guess right away who this guy was because Wayne's Wayne, you know. In fact, Wayne is so ridiculously good. If you were to ask trumpet players around the world who are the top five trumpet players in the world, yeah. he's in every just about everybody's top five. And probably 40% would say he's either one or two. Wow. He's just, he is the guy. So I put this uh, library together, and I called it Screaming Trumpet. And, uh, you know, it was a learning experience. I never put a library together, but, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I got a lot of friends and, you know, contacted people, got a lot of help from the industry. And that was the first library. And um, then I thought, well, why stop here? So I decided to go, um, you know, Wayne. I'm only laughing because he does get a little obsessive about it. Yeah, this. why stop here? You know, <laughs> if, I, if I want a big band, why not get some saxophones, flute, clarinet, trombone, the whole bit. And so I actually, Wayne is, is the star kind of trumpet player for Gordon Goodwin's big fat band. Gordon Goodwin has, I think, the best big band in L.A., maybe okay. in the country or in the world. He's a Grammy award-winning composer. He has all the top musicians. They're so ridiculously good that other bands make fun of them because they're so tight. They don't make mistakes. They're just so good. And Wayne was telling me, you know, it's not like we're, like they're not editing or, or cheating. We're just the the players are that good. Wow. They just play that well, and um, it was really, uh, you know. So so I decided to go to Gordon Goodwin's uh, Big Fat Man and pull out his star players. So the next guy I contacted was Eric Maringval, and I put together um, a saxophone library. And then after I did that, I went back with Wayne and I I pulled out Andy Martin on trombone. These are their three big star performers. If you ever go hear Gordon Goodwin, all three of those always have featured solos. They're the big draw to okay. you know, his, his Do they play Catalina uh, in Hollywood? Anyway? They play all over the place, yeah. All, yeah. I mean, they actually travel the world and play. And, wow. but, and all of the, these artists, they, they travel also around the world giving clinics. And, they, you know, it's funny because um, jazz isn't like, you know, pop where you're making tons of money. Right, so these guys not that many people making tons of money with pop anymore, but that's a whole other episode. Right? So these guys, they'll go to high schools and play with a high school jazz band, and you know because they want to keep it going. Yeah. It, it's the high schools with the jazz bands that keep, you know, the big band kind of stuff, the maybe more modern, not the old fashioned swing kind of stuff, but right. you know they keep it going, and that's their that's their future fan base too. So anyway, I put all these libraries together, and um, after I put them together. For about two years, I think my forwards went up to about 70%, which was pretty good. 
That's was, incredibly good. That's almost you know, unheard of. And then it's funny because I think I went through a period where, okay, I'm, I'm now writing my compositions, not so much thinking about trying to meet, you know, what, what the listings were asking for, yeah. but I thought of them more sounds, as demos for my counter. libraries. All right. So sounds counterintuitive, but okay. And I kind of think I got into a mode where I was trying to show off how good my libraries were. Really? And I think my <laughs> compositions kind of lost some of the quality of but, it. You've got to know from being a member by now that, at least on instrumental cues, it's frequently not about your composition know, strength so much as it is about do you um, help support a, a mood, you know? Right, it, right. Because right. if somebody watching a TV show is paying attention to how good you are as a composer, then it, it's bad. But I, but I needed to populate my list of demos okay. you know, for my libraries because I, you know. <laughs> I'm making money selling my libraries, probably more than I would make, you know, with some listings. And Maybe. you know, and there, one day and, a good one comes and, along and totally and, upends that. But okay, you know, and and the reality is that you know, how many listings really are looking for screaming high note trumpets? Not right? many. It, it kind of conflicts with a lot of scenes, and so I, I kind of pulled myself out of you know where I was uh, maybe as relevant where, as I was before. I think, with, with some of the compositions I wrote. Yeah, really, uh, uh, the movie Birdman and La La Land were like the two play, and of course those were mostly score. Yeah, those aren't, yeah. they're not going to use a sample like right. that, so it's hard. You yeah. know? I'm kind of in this in this world where it's, it's and um, so anyway, that's kind of where I'm at. And um, But I, I realized a few years ago that I can still do better than what I had released. And so I went back to the studio with, with Eric. Um, we had two very long eight-hour sessions, um, you know, re recording soprano sax, alto sax, tenor sax, baritone sax, jazz flute, and jazz clarinet. And he plays those all are, those. He plays all of those. He's, he's pretty awesome. Wow. Of them. Um, <clears throat> but there were things that I didn't really have in my original libraries. One of the problems I had was that I had so many articulations that I ran out of keys to do key switching. So there was no way to actually easily have every articulation played. And so it was kind of a mess. Um, I don't understand. I, there, it's like, okay, so your keyboard, and, and so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get into this pretty soon. Um, you know, what are the controls? Are you going to have a translator for it? No, 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 no. <laughs> I almost thought of it, you know, bringing my keyboard, but I didn't want to take up your desk and it would be a little too much. But um, imagine you have your keyboard. Okay. Well, yeah. the keyboard all the way on the left, you typically will have two wheels. One is your pitch bend, and the other is your mod wheel, right? So the pitch bend is usually to bend the pitch, okay? And the uh, the mod wheel traditionally is used for like vibrato modulation, mm -hmm. okay? So now you have your your keyboard. Well, imagine dividing the keyboard where at some point everything to the left those are called key switches. Okay. Those are controls that you use to select whatever articulation you want to play. Okay. And then on the right part of the keyboard. Oh, I got it. So you had so many articulations. Had so many articulations that I ran out of keys. Got it. And, and you were using an 88. 88 key keyboard, right. and I ran out of keys. I mean, you know, we're talking about, um, so for example, on our electric guitar library, we have 110 articulations. I mean, that's even more keys than the keyboard. What what would a normal, like, well-thought-of, everybody's-got-it library have for kind of a standard range of number of articulations? Well, okay, so most of the libraries, like if you buy 
contact or reason or you know the built-in sounds that come in with Cubase or you know any of your your sort of typical things that come with a bunch of instruments. A lot of them just have okay. You want a trumpet? You get a trumpet, yeah. plain sustains, okay, and that's it. So if you want a trumpet to go da da, you literally would have to go da da da. You know, you'd have to hit all those note. chromatic notes, and right. it sounds stupid. It doesn't right. sound real at all. It doesn't sound human. So what about yeah. a library that's dedicated to one instrument? Um, so your your typical libraries um, that have one instrument might have a dozen articulations. Maybe okay. that would be pretty good. Um, so you, know, you up yours by a factor of so, six, seven, or eight. So imagine a, a, an electric bass or an, an electric guitar with 110 articulations, right? All kinds of grace notes and mordants and slides and and not only that, but um, so there's a lot of things. You know, when you're when you're laying out a track with an instrument using sample libraries. So think about now your keyboard again. You've got your your instrument you know, keys that yeah. are playing the notes, and then you've got your key switches. Well, what I did was I said, we need two key, a, a, like a two key key switch mechanism. Right. So, I, so I set it up where the first key, so let's say the, the C minus two, the lowest note on the keyboard, is a sustain. But if you press C, a C minus two and a C sharp, mm -hmm. now it's doing uh, vibrato. Okay. If you do a C and that controls and a, the range of the vibrato D, from there to there. It's a heavier vibrato, maybe. A C and a, a D sharp might be, you know, uh, like on a, on a guitar, it might be a, a slap mm -hmm. kind of a thing. So anyway, so what I ended up doing was saying, all right, there'll be a primary key that, that establishes the articulation group. And if you just do the one key, that's the most likely articulation in the group you would want. But okay. you can pick alternative ones. Okay, kind of that are similar uh, in all of this. So that's how I can kind of now turn, you know, 110 articulations in the guitar and in the bass into 15 keys. And I still have the rest of the keyboard for, okay. for the notes. Um, so all of the woodwinds, they have something like 90 articulations. And um, there's a lot of philosophies in, you know, how to use sample libraries. and. I guess I, I would say there's not like a single correct way to use a sample library, but there are wrong ways to use sample libraries. Is that part of what you're going to discuss? And today? we'll talk about some of this. Yeah, I'm gonna, okay. we're going to get into this, and I'll show you uh, how it, how I do things at least. Um, so think about it like this: you've got your your part, your track that you've laid out, okay? And I'm looking at this. And, and so, for example, let me, uh, I'm going to play you just a little demo of something that I put together. Um, this is what, what it would sound like if you had, you know, all you had were sustains, just a single kind of a sample for, um, you know, your instrument. And, and this happens to be tenor sax. So okay. hopefully it'll play. Check my levels. Sounds like a Casio, circa 1988. Okay, so in that little demo, mm -hmm. every note had the same velocity. Velocity is a term when you use samples. Um, it, it's how hard or how fast you strike the key. So they're all set as if you struck the keyboard, played the note with the same loudness. Right. And every note is a sustain, which means when I recorded this with Eric, 
he had to go ta, and there's a, an, a hard attack. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it sounds stupid. Da 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 da. You know, and in the little runs, they sound stupid because every note's attacked. Mm-hmm. So okay, so let's try the next thing. Is um, let's add some dynamics. So instead of every note being the same loudness, uh, now each note kind of has their own level. So some notes are accented more than others. Now you're hardly going to hear any difference. Okay, and it's still going to sound bad, but here's what it sounds like when you put a little bit of dynamics in. I didn't. I probably should have put more dynamics. I didn't. Exa- I didn't really overdo it. So it still sounded kind of smooth because I didn't want it to sound, you know, like over the top. Mm-hmm. But what I want to now talk about is legato because it sounds really dumb. That you know, every, you hear the attack as the notes are kind of going, and, but a real saxophone player would be slurring the notes. They wouldn't be tonguing every note. They would just blow, be blowing through the notes, and it, and it would sound smooth. So I'm going to bring up. Uh, something a little test and what this is it's a chromatic scale played fast and uh, okay let me actually I need to change one thing in the editing in a second here. all right and let's uh, set this all right so these are sustains now a, a fast chromatic scale and, and you th- tell me if you think this sounds real oops hang on hang on all right obviously not it's not okay so now there's a technique there's a technique um called simulated legato and the better sample libraries have this and there's different philosophies on how to do it but what simulated legato does is it says when you go from one note to another do a crossfade between them. So mm-hmm. when the next note starts, this one begins to fade out and the next one fades in. And we'll do a, a kind of a pitch bend, a portamento kind of so a So that would thing. be written into the software of most libraries? And it's written into the, it, not most libraries. This library. The, this library and some others, but but like your $39 library, no way. They don't have this, okay. kind of, this kind of thing. So. And that's done by taking the notes. I'm going to take all the notes now, and I'm going to overlap them a little bit. See it? I'm shocked that I'm still following this. Okay. So see how the notes now overlap. So, you know, if you were to look at the notes before, a note would end, and then the next note would start. Now the ending note overlaps. Right. And that's the key to the software that says, oh, you want legato, do the crossfade, and do, do that whole bit. All right, so see if this sounds a little bit better. Remember, we're still playing sustains. A little bit better. Yeah. Still doesn't sound great, but what if instead of... It um, sounds a little more human. So now what I'm going to do is one of the articulations I actually call legato. And the legato articulation, I had Eric play da 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 da, and, and it was more of a D kind of a tonguing, if that makes sense. Instead of a ta, it was more of a da. And right. I actually recorded it by having him go da 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 da, and I picked one of the middle ones. 
right? So it, it wasn't the start, it wasn't the first da, 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 it was one in the middle, so I could sort of capture that more legato. Okay. It's the first note, when you, when you when a wind player is playing a note, the first right. one seems it's to have the more of the attack. Yeah, it's got more energy. And then you sort of get into it more and it's breath, more, yeah. so, all right, so this is more of a D kind of a legato. No, that was staccato. I forgot. Remember, I said two key switches. I got to put the other one. That makes it legato. Well, smooth. All right. So now all of these things, these are simulated legato, mm -hmm. but the really good sample libraries have true legato. Um, some very Every few libraries is played in, in, with legato. Right. So, okay. so the way I captured the true legato is I, I recorded two things. I had Eric Marienthal play a grace note. So he went da da and then held the note, and then I wrote software that analyzed the frequency of that final note, and I kind of went backwards and I tracked where he kind of hit that first note, and but just before he did that, capturing the little slur up to the note. Okay. And then I had him do a mordant where he went da da da, but fast da la, and I captured the da da, and then coming back down, and I captured the coming down to the note. Crazy. Okay? So if you go up, I'm doing the grace note version of it, but chopped, so I'm just capturing a little bit of the slur up to the note. Mm -hmm. And if you're coming back down, then I'm capturing the part on the mordant where he was coming down to the note. So in a normal library, you would have to have somebody execute every one of those notes as a human and get it right and then separately edit every one of them right versus this is so smart that it can well make so, you so what i did yeah. was i said you know I, I need grace notes and i need mordants let me just go process those and that then i'll also have the true legato i hope you guys are paying attention. does that make does that make yeah. sense so so everyone <laughs> else they're recording these so things far. separately and hand editing and i just wrote the software to sort of perfect it um, so here's what it sounds like. Uh, give me a second here to, uh, to make the change. So I'm going to undo the overlapping, right? Because uh, right now it's set up for simulate legato. I'm going to put it back to, oops, I don't have my mouse. I have to do this all on my laptop. Trackpad. Okay, so it's back. And now the key switch, uh, so Michael is kind of watching me here, but I'm switching it over to, um, it turns out a, a C-sharp minus two is now true legato. Okay, so we're so this is what it sounds like with the true legato. So when you say true legato as in each note played legato by Eric? It's, or, it's or... actually, um, I'm not simulating anything. So okay. it's, it's, it's sort of capturing. So when I go from one note to another note, it's actually kind of fading the first one out. And then the, the second note is actually, I've captured that kind of half step mm -hmm. going into the note. And so it sounds smooth. It sounds connected. Wow. Okay. Anyway, it makes all the difference in the world. And the because... cool part is he does this in his spare time. <laughs> okay, so now, um, so we've, we've listened to some fast passages. Well, what about slow? And uh, so let me play you some something that's slow with legato. Remember, like I said, this is, this is kind of, you know, everybody, all of the 
the pros that are looking for high-end sample libraries, if you don't have some way of doing a fast passage without it sounding dumb, mm -hmm. they're not interested in the library. You have to have something, whether it's simulated legato, but everybody really wants true legato. So, um, all right, so now I've got a little bit slower passage, and I'm gonna first play it with sustain, so you can kind of hear, you know, with sustains. So you hear what it sounds like without legato. So now uh, let's put in simulated legato. So I'm going to take all these notes and I'm just going to drag them so they overlap. Okay, so they overlap a little bit. And now that's going to turn on the simulated legato and see if it sounds a little smoother. That would be kind of a convincing, it doesn't sound great, but it sounds all right. All right. It sounds like somebody, uh, you know, when you you walk down the hall of the practice rooms uh, in the music department of yeah. any college, you hear that coming out of the door. Sure. All right. Now, there's um, kind of an interesting thing in my libraries, um, because <clears throat> when you're doing these legatos, all right, so remember, there's a crossfade, and then there's a pitch bending, kind of a portamento effect. And I have it set up where you can control how, how that all actually occurs. And I have it set up where the maximum portamento step is set to one, but you can set it to be something larger. And um, here's what it sounds like if you let it be really large. You'll hear it doesn't sound right. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a synthesizer. Yeah. Now, okay, so that might sound great, you know, if it was strings or a trombone, mm -hmm. it might actually work. But for a saxophone, it just sounds dumb. And I always thought portamento was the red thing in the middle of the olive. I am learning so <laughs> much. <laughs> All right, so so uh, you can control that. And the other thing that, that you can control is, with, with my libraries, no other library gives you this, but the idea that, okay, when you're doing this crossfade, how do you actually bend the note? Do you kind of hold on to it and then quickly bend it? Or do you bend it right away and then let well, it level It depends on off. the dynamic of the piece you'd be playing, right? Well, it depends on what you want it to do, what sounds good for the and, instrument. And do you have a, vari a and variable? So, so there's a variable here that lets you pick, you know, are you bending it at the head? In other words, the first note quickly bends and, and on the crossfade, and the other one is kind of there, or does it wait and kind of get it at the end? Or is it more of a linear? So you can kind of control that and play with it. and, and um, it, for me, I like this uh, more of a, a cute kind of a, at the tail. Mm -hmm. But here's what that same thing would sound like linear. And um, let me actually, I'm going to set it so it's got a longer uh, time period on the legato. Then you'll really hear how dumb it sounds. Yeah, it's almost cartoonish. Yeah. Um, but let me tighten it up. A little tighter. But it really, what works better... Yeah. This is really good ear training. Alright, so the simulated legato is really, really important. Now, the, the true legato is really, really important for certain things, but what if you're going from 
one articulation to another. You don't, you know, the, the uh, legatos are only, you know, a handful of articulations that do the legato. What if I wanted, for example, to do some kind of legato up to a swell? Well, I don't have a true legato for that. So I need the simulated legato. Do you sit in bed at night think, and like have these moments where you go, oh, and I need this, and then wake up and pull the laptop out from under the bed, and your uh, wife's like, you know, that does happen. But, yeah. but I think the community kind of, they know about simulated legato, the, the really high-end kind of, you know, uh, composers, and they know about true legato. Um, not a whole lot of libraries give you both. Okay. Right. And so, well, and, and I thought about, well, I need to kind of... Are you able to patent this stuff? I mean, can't somebody... Uh, I, I, maybe, know? maybe. I, I think, you know, there's definitely some proprietary kind of software that I developed to make all this happen. And the programming that I, I did, um, I definitely don't want to release that. Like, I'm not making it open source because okay. there is a lot of kind of secret little algorithms and techniques that I've kind of invented to make that by day happen. blows up third world countries and at night it's a saxophone. <laughs> it's a saxophone, yeah, that, there you go. All right, so I want to go back now to this because um, there's another kind of legato, true legato, but it's more of like um, arpeggio, not arpeggio, what's, what's the word? Uh, you know, like a chromatic scale going between the transitions, a, a more of like a, a glissando. Mm -hmm. Uh, to the to the note, and so the fact that you're you have to have a really deep understanding of every instrument that you're going to include in your library in order to do this. Though that's you need to know when you order a, a high end library, you need to know what are the controls. What, what about are the you, the guy who thinks to include these things in programming? Is, well, you know, being a jazz guy, I know what all the at least all the wind instruments can do. I, yeah. I know what they are supposed to sound like and what they would play. If they were doing like a lead part, and especially the trumpet, being a, a lead trumpet player, you know, earlier in my day, I know like how you know the lead trumpet player is what carries the band and does all the jazzy things to really oh, make it cool. I'm so sorry to interrupt. I've been trying to think of this since we had our phone call like a month ago or whatever. Arturo Sandoval. Yes. If you ever need to connect with him and you don't have, I've got the ultimate connection to him. That would be uh, awesome. I, I, I think we should have the Arturo Sandoval library. Um, Anyway, sorry. Oh, let me let me do one more. I want to. Oh, I forgot to do one thing. Let me let me go. Well, well, all right, we'll get. All right. I want to do one more simulated legato. So I want to show you something. Are you guys enjoying this so far, or are you following it? I mean, not to imply that you're not smart enough to follow. I mean, just I don't know. How, I get the advantage of looking at his screen. So, you guys with us? going to take a second before we find out. If they say no, then we're screwed. We have to go back to square one. Yes. All right, Love good. it. Okay, good. All right. So now this is back to the simulated legato, but I want to um, play you kind of a breathy uh, version of this. So this is simulated legato, and hopefully I've got, hopefully I've got this right. Doing some of this from memory. All right. So the, these are what I call breathy. And the idea was it was kind of a like uh, like a really breathy attack of the note and very airy kind of a saxophone sound. Okay. Uh, okay. Clearly that wasn't breathy. That's really breathy. That was really, breathy. We couldn't hear it. Yeah, I think I was off by. The note. <laughs> But but you hear how it doesn't quite sound right because the, the attack, like going from note to note, right. it doesn't really sound like it was slurred. 
So I also included what I call breathy chop. And breathy chop, I chopped off the attack so it's going right into the note. And now, hear what it sounds like. Right? That won't sound right if you don't have the legato. It'll just... It'll just sound stupid. You can't make the part sound like a, an instrument. The guy's really playing it. All right. Now, I want to show you... Um, what this sounds like with legato, and then we're gonna, and then I'm gonna show you the um, glissando legato. Okay. All right. So this is this is now with the true legato, just basic, simple true legato. That sounds pretty good. Mm -hmm. Here is with um, a chromatic scale now being played between the notes. All right, it's, I, I, all, all I did was I changed the key switch from true legato to now a true legato with a, cro a chromatic scale. Okay. Nothing on the actual what was played is being changed. It's just changing the articulation. It sounds kind of dumb, but you hear what but it's doing, it's right? Really impressive, right? I'm not doing the da da la 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 la. All I'm doing is is I'm actually. I mean, Eric was really playing that. Yeah. And if it doesn't sound good, it's because Eric made some mistakes. Okay. It, but it's real. It's not top five, eh? It's not fake. <laughs> and um, here's another version of uh, the same thing. Uh, this one actually, Eric at the end of the note plays a little bit of vibrato. So if you're going da da da, and you want it to have a little vibrato. Instead of just a straight note, um, this would be a little bit more of, a, of an expression kind of a thing. Okay, so I didn't play the notes long enough for you to really hear the vibrato. There's a little bit of a delay, but I heard kind some. of the idea. And then I had Eric um, play. I got ears like a bat. <laughs> where. Uh, where I wanted him, instead of like a chromatic scale, slide it as much as you can to give it a smooth kind of a uh, transition. That's that's the way Eric played it. You know, he, he must have loved the fact that he had somebody on the other side of the glass that could actually communicate to him in exactly the terms that he needed. You know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Well, the craziest thing was when I had Wayne. In the studio, remember, I, I was a trumpet player. Yeah, Wayne would have been my hero, my god, my, you know, everything I would look up to. And now I'm in the studio, and Wayne's like, "Hey, uh, did I get that okay, Jeff? Uh, no, Wayne, can you do that again?" Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I've got Wayne Bergeron in the studio." I understand. You know, it's just this crazy feeling. Yeah, but he was he was also really really cool. All right, so you get the idea of what legato does. Um, so you need both true legato and simulated legato if you're really going to get a realistic uh, kind of a sound. So the next thing, I'm going to go back. Remember the, uh, the little melody thing that I played? And now I'm, I'm putting simulated legato. So you're going to hear it. Um, 
the notes are connected a little bit better. It's got some dynamics and some simulated legato to kind of smooth it out a little bit. Still so, sounds lame. I don't think it sounds that lame, frankly, but I'm not a horn player, and I've got to say that the fact that you can effectuate this stuff without having to hit every note. I mean, yeah. friends of mine who are composers that when they're doing string articulations and stuff will literally have to sit there for hours and hours going yeah. note by note, massaging right. all this stuff, right. and you can just say, no, do that, play it. Well, um, I mean, there's still editing, right? So when you go da da da, well, you have to start where it goes to that note a little early, so mm -hmm. it lands on the note at the right place. You got to kind of edit to get it about right. And there's some work, you know, to make it all happen. But nothing. But, I've but imagine you cut out like 80% of that stuff. Yeah, the, the new library is so much easier to use than my old stuff that I'm eventually going to transform all my libraries to to have all the software in it. All right, so the next one, I put some true legato in. And in okay. a couple places, I, I use the chromatic kind of thing, so you hear a little bit in there, but it, it hopefully will sound a little more realistic. Okay, so that was with true legato. Uh, now, I added some articulations. And so this is kind of like a final version. Maybe I'm a little over the top. Probably could use a little more editing because it seems a little bit uh, a little bit rough in a couple places. But uh, hopefully you get the idea. I mean, I'm adding some, some articulations where Eric bent the, note, bent the note, had some falls, and did a little more things to it. So you get the idea. So, so by selecting the articulations, you begin to give it a little more expression. And if you think about it, okay, so you've got your track that you're laying out, and you know it's a, a series of notes. And what are you? What can you do? Well, you can select what articulation. You can control how loud it is. Maybe you're not talking. You're not speaking in general terms now. You're talking in terms of using um, your software. Just in general, actually. Yeah. Okay. In general. But also my software too. But you know, you, you select the notes, you can control when each note starts and when each note ends, how loud each note is, you can kind of boost up the volume while the note is playing, or you know, so you can do some things like that. And you can add some fake uh, vibrato with modulation. You know, it's, it's you can make it sound okay, pretty good. Uh, not as good as you know, real vibrato. Um, and you've got a pitch bend kind of a thing that can control the bends, but it doesn't sound as good as if Eric or, or your artist is really bending the note. There's, it's very, very different when you're playing something that was, you know, that the person was actually playing instead of faking it. I would love to see what you would do as a software developer with an auto-tune-like thing for vocals. Because I'll bet you there's, well, we all know there's a lot of improvement that could take place there. So someday take right, that right. on. Right, right. Well, I, you know, it's funny because the algorithms that I developed for tracking the yeah. frequencies is very comparable to what those audio guys are doing. And they, they kind of have, um, what makes what they're doing easy is if you can say, all right, I know this is a human voice, 
female or male, you can begin to isolate the frequencies mm -hmm. and you can actually filter out the frequencies that aren't really in the range and then right. that kind of cleans up the signal. And then tracking the frequencies. Um, it's not like a saxophone where there are keys going and there could be gaps and crazy things. Your vocal cords tend to be smooth and I think the algorithms that I developed actually would work Worked easier on, on vocals than they would on like a saxophone. This is fascinating. Yeah. All right, so you get the idea of um, you know what I'm doing here, but, but okay, like I said, there are a lot of things that you can do. You're controlling when each note starts, when each note ends. On my libraries, you can actually, at the end of a note, decide how you want that note to end. So for example, you could play a sustain, hold it as long as you want, and then say, oh, when that note ends, do a fall at the end of it, and it will automatically play a fall. Okay, or you can do a rip or anything, and you can you control the fall yeah. as well, right? To determine where the fall ends. So, for example, I have uh, with uh, Eric, I have I think five different falls. One is kind of what we call an oomph. You know, it's funny because I, I have to name all the articulations, so I give them all their own names, mm -hmm. right? An oomph is duh, like you know, just a quick fall. But then there's ba, and then there's like ba, blah, 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 with more of a rough kind of a fall, and then there's do it and make it last, go longer, a, more of a, a longer type of fall, and then do it and, and so, And then rips, different ways of kind of doing crazy stuff at the end of the note. But you need to be able to um, put something like that at the end of any articulation that you might play, if you want to really have all the expression. Almost no libraries actually have these, what we call, what are called release triggers. Uh, it's really surprising how you can go spend a lot of money on libraries and they don't give you the release triggers. Even like a $500 to $2,000 one? Absolutely. Have? Wow. Like, for example, if you go and spend a ton of money on Vienna Symphony strings, they've got a lot of articulations, but you don't really get to control, like at the end of the note, you could do a fall or a rip, or, because strings don't normally do it. Yeah. But what if you wanted to? Like, you're doing something kind of crazy. You know, or you had a, a clarinet or a, an oboe, and you wanted to kind of jazz it up and do do some things with it, but they don't really give you those kinds of things. Even in you know some of those libraries, um, you go and you buy an expensive bass library like Trillium, mm -hmm. and you might get the thing about Trillium. Trillium is a great product. Um, they give you a whole bunch of basses, and they all sound great. Each bass might come with I don't know eight, ten articulations. And you don't have releases. So you can't just say play a note and at the end of the note do a fall. If you want to fall, you play the, the fall articulation and it just goes duh. And you can't go like duh and hold it for a while and then blah at the end of the note. Mm -hmm. Won't let you do it. Um, <clears throat> our base library has, I don't know, eight or nine, ten different releases that you can put on any note. So you can kind of, you know, make it do all kinds, anything you really want it to do. Um, and you know, what are you definitely? Doing the, um, Jeff will be at the Roadville. You're teaching two classes. Two classes. And what are they on? Uh, so normally, actually, one of the classes I teach is kind of what we're doing, except I always do it with a different kind of example, and I, I talk about some different things. But um, since we're doing it here, yeah, um, I, I really uh, want to teach a class on audio, and. Um, you know, oh, this is the RMS discussion. We yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, Jeff and I were on the phone late one night, and we we're talking about um, 
Uh, I don't even want to get into it because it'll yeah, get he'll, he'll, he'll spend an hour on it. But his understanding of volume and RMS and mastering and loudness, all that stuff is so intense. And he's convinced that everybody in the world has it wrong but him. And after you hear him, <laughs> you will believe him. Well, well, let me put it this way. So everybody talks about RMS. Yeah. And Which is root mean squared for those. Root mean squared. And RMS cannot possibly be the correct measurement of how loud your audio is. And I can show why it cannot possibly be RMS. And I did some digging on the internet to find out why, you know, because everybody's just sort of repeating it. It's like groupthink, it's just repeated. And um, nobody can explain why. So I decided, all right, I'm going back to first principles as a physicist and trying to figure out what is you know, going on. And then I realized, you know what RMS is? It's measuring the electrical power that your stereo is using when you play right. some uh, kind of music. It has, no, it has nothing to do with the actual audio power that's coming from your speakers. It's so, how much electricity you're, you're... So how would you measure it by having a membrane and measuring no, the amount of movement? No, you can, it, you, from first principles, it's actually really, really easy. Okay. And, and, I'll sh and I don't give it away, but All I'll right. talk about that in my class. And a number of other things about audio. And we'll, we'll talk about, I'm going to show you something at the end of today that uh, I'm going to talk about a lot more in the class. And that is virtual, like 3D audio. Okay. And, you know, how, how with just headphones or earbuds, you can make something sound more 3D than surround sound. Did you go, uh, speaking of that, uh, Sergeant Pepper's the um, remix that uh, okay I, I got invited to go see this thing where they did it I forget what it's called now uh, Dolby Atmos in uh, the first two songs I was singing a darkened movie theater going sounds good by the third song you're going wow that's impressive by the fourth or fifth song you're going holy crap by the end of the record you feel like you just had the most wonderfully special experience ever especially for right. audio guys so if you ever get a chance you would be somebody who would greatly appreciate i, I you know i love and i've taught i've met with uh, like college professors and people that are kind of into how you know how this whole virtual audio works because all the gamers they're they're into the now the 3d virtual reality and the audio has to kind of go along with that and then the question is how would you um if you were going to record music, what would you need to do differently? And how would that, the whole playback scheme, and how would it work to make it so that you're listening to audio and as you move your head, it's like you're moving with, you're hearing the band differently. You're right there as if you were, as if you were right there. And you know, so how does that work? And I'm going to show you actually something uh, when we... Well, you're getting that set up. I'm just checking in with the chat room because I haven't really had much of a chance so far today. So actually, the next thing I want to do, though, is also plug this in. Okay. So we're going to switch audio down. Okay. Plug it in. No. Yeah. I just to see that the audio is going all the way down on your computer. The audio? Uh, like the output just on the... Um, is it too hot? It almost... Uh, no, I mean like your speakers. Oh. Because it almost sounds like there's like a slight... Got it. Yeah, I had it down like 95%, but I just totally muted it. Okay, awesome. <clears throat> All right, so what I'm going to do now 
I'm loading in, uh, so I, I work with Cubase. So we've been working on my, my Mac, uh, all those demos and things that I played for you. Um, I'm loading in a full arrangement, but while it's loading up, I'm gonna play a couple of uh, demos. This first one was um, something I put together. It was actually the, the very first thing I did with the Alto sax. It was my very first test. So it's not- and Is this a full band? No, it's just the solo Alto okay. sax. And uh, it was just me trying out the different articulations, trying to see what things sounded like. Um, so here we go. Okay, so somebody was... just, I, I've got to interrupt you because somebody just asked a really key question, maybe okay. the most key question. Okay. Is this software designed so that somebody who's not a PhD can operate it? Yeah, Talk yeah, about yeah. The that interface. Was, that's the whole point is um, I really tried to make it as easy as possible. There's an easy to use user's guide. There's help all over. There's not a million controls. It's really pretty easy. Once you know how it works, um, it's at, I, I think of it as a, there are a lot of libraries that, for example, okay, so there are some libraries where you basically start with a blank sheet of paper, right? So you got to say, okay, put that articulation on that key, put that one there. You have to kind of remember how to do it all, and then you got to remember what are the key switches, and and it's really a pain Sounds to, like to use libraries like that. And they're good libraries; they sound great and all that, but they're to me, I'd rather just have it all laid out in a nice way, and all the libraries work the same. And I didn't mention, there's, there's a few more things that are in there. These are more advanced features, but they're also really easy to use. Um, because sometimes you might play a note and you want it to get louder or softer. Mm -hmm. So what normal libraries you would end up doing is you would have to create a, a lane, a controller lane for the either volume or the expression. And you'd have to make it get louder and softer, okay? And that's kind of a pain because then when you're done, you've got to put it back wherever it was right. so it doesn't affect the next note. So yeah. I have it set up where you can just hit a key and it makes it louder. And then as soon as the note is over, it resets it automatically oh, back that's to nice. the note. Makes it really easy. Or you can make it softer. Uh, there's another a pair of keys where you can add vibrato. And it just does it for the note. And then as soon as the note is done, it resets it back and you're back to... You know, you don't have to go and reset. That alone has got to be a lifesaver because you could go back and listen to a piece and go, oh, crap. Oh, oh, crap. And here right, all these right. things you have to go back and, and the correct The is a pain. And no, yeah. and it's a, I find it to be a pain to use the controllers, to create controller lanes and then have to edit them and you know, it, it, and then reset them. And it's, it's just a pain for me anyway. There's another really kind of a cool feature, too. Um, I call it voice shifting. 
And um, it's not as useful for the woodwinds, but it's extremely useful for brass because brass, a lot of times you'll play a unison part, right? The trumpets, three trumpets are playing in unison. Um, I don't actually have this feature yet on the brass. It'll be in there, but it is on the woodwinds. And do and, you include updates if somebody <clears throat> buys a license to your software? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We, I do. I, I give people free updates and things like that. Um, although the woodwind library is such a major enhancement, it's not a free upgrade, but there's a, an upgrade. Uh, um, but so voice shifting, what voice shifting does, it's such a cool idea. Um, okay, let's suppose I want two instruments to play, like let's suppose I, I want a stereo flute. Okay, so I'll hard pan one to the right, hard pan one to the left, and then I'll tell the one, on, let's say on the left, voice shift up half a step. Okay, so there's a little setting on the interface. Shift it up half a step. So if I play a C, it'll play the C on the right, but it'll play a C sharp on the left. And Why, then it, what's and the then, practical application? And then it tunes it back down to a C. So the reason why you're doing that is this guy's playing the note that was recorded for C. This guy's playing the note that was recorded a completely different sample for the C sharp. Mm. And I'm getting two completely different notes that are played. And now I've created my stereo. Okay. And you can do this in, in my library where let's suppose you wanted to do some articulation and you're like, you know, it's just not quite working. Well, what if I voice shifted up half or half a step down or up? Maybe that version of that articulation might work better in this passage. So you have all this fine control. That you so want it's to... a little analogous to like detuning a piano by one cent with a harmonizer to get a tack piano sound. This is just a much slicker, more sophisticated version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, the same kind of idea, but it's it's extremely helpful when you know. Sometimes you know the the articulation isn't just Quite working. You want that articulation, but the, that particular sample didn't quite work. But if you could pick the, the sample next to it, up or down, that works perfectly. And so you can play with these kinds because of... Because of the timbre and texture? Or what about it? was it? just played differently, and it happens to have a smoother, better transition. Okay. It just works. You know, a lot of working with sample libraries is kind of experimentation. You lay it out, try this. No, that doesn't quite... Well, try this one. Well, oh, that one... Sounds great. Yeah, we'll use that one. You know, there's a little bit of that, wow. but but most of it is, of course, you know, you you're hearing in your head what you want the part to sound like, and and you know, working with it. All right, so I'm all loaded here, but I'm gonna uh, I want to play the second uh, demo, uh, and this one's it's called Catwalk, and I wrote it um, to be kind of a Pink Panther sort of a thing. Um, uh, it features the flute, um, all the runs that you're hearing. I'm not playing every note. Those runs are, are part of the articulation. They're either true legato, they could be falls, they could be rips at the end of notes. All of the um, dynamics, when you hear a note go like, like da, and then a crescendo, mm -hmm. I'm not controlling that. Those were the actual articulations. I'm, I'm not doing any pitch bending, nothing. Okay, I'm just laying out the articulations and doing all the legato to smooth them all out, trying to make, make it flow. And so, um, <clears throat> See what you think. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's again kind of a demo. Oops. Wrong one. Oh. Oh. Hang on. Okay, here we go. Turn that a little bit. 
this is a bass, and then uh, one of the guitars is doing palm mutes. Okay. sample <laughs> and here's the mind-blowing thing he programmed the whole thing on his phone one time <laughs> no, he didn't do it on his phone but there were no humans playing on it no and no keyboard no keyboard every note uh, because I don't play the keyboard I enter every note with a mouse every note with a mouse can you yeah. stand it mind-blowing <clears throat> so um, there were some questions one of the questions was um, like how much time does it take to enter the notes 
versus actually arranging and composing. And I would say um, it's almost always I spend way more time on the composition itself, like sitting there going, oh, what should I put in next? What, you know, yeah. and then it's not the tedious entering the notes that takes up all the time. I mean, that's time consuming, but it's not what I spend my time on. It's really, you know, and then once I have the parts, it's all the, did I get that quite right? And is the mix right? I really struggled on this with this one because um, trying to get the bass right. And I don't know if I got it right. People were asking, is that a real upright bass? That's or? an electric, that's uh, one of our electric bass, that's our electric bass library. So there was nobody standing up playing no, anything no, no. made from wood. That was that was actually an electric guitar. <laughs> wow. And uh, the, the uh, or electric bass guitar. And the guitar, um, I, uh, a couple of people have told me they didn't think the guitar sounded all that real. Well, I'm not a guitarist. And actually, I think there's one part where the uh, kind of the distortion guitar kind of comes in and plays a part. Mm -hmm. And originally, I wanted that to be the cleaner jazz guitar, and it sounded better. But the problem was I have the clean guitar doing those palm mutes, oh. and I couldn't. It didn't sound right when I stopped doing that, and so I switched it over to the other guitar. And I was never crazy about that guitar little lick that I did, but I figured, all right, there's enough going on in the composition. You know, if you're a guitar player, you probably listen to it and you go, that's not real. But there's enough real things in it. If you really listen to it, you'll hear there were slides going on with the guitar and falls off the notes. And even though I didn't go crazy with it, it's pretty basic, you know, compared to all the other crazy things that are going on in this composition. Um, I kind of wanted it to be simpler to give people a break because then what's coming next if you make everything big and crazy then the whole thing is just right. crazy so i wanted there to be a little bit uh, of something simple in there and by the way also those bongos that you heard those are my bongos too um, that's probably the next library that we're going to be coming out with um, and i had i put that on hold a bongo library or the, percussion the last time we i was here i was i told you about my bongo library i don't remember and uh uh, I haven't really made any progress on it, except I have a guy helping me with some of the editing. And um, I'm hoping... Oh, that's right. I do remember. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And uh, so we'll have this uh, library probably early next year called Killer Bongos. And the thing that's so cool about it is, first of all, there's a lot of uh, samples in there. So, you know, you hit the drum and it's not the same sample every time. Different loudness and, and all kinds of things. What did you mic but, the bongos with? Do you remember? Yes. What? Uh, you're going to think this is crazy. I, mean, um, I may not, because if you, if you have the same answer that I would give. <laughs> no. Um, so I use gauge mics. One of them I bought at the rally. Really? The other one, um, Rob Shirelli gave me for free in his class because I answered a question. Wow. That he thought was... He sold good. the company. He no longer owns gauge. Yeah. So, um, so, and the way I recorded the bongos, it was really, really cool. Um, I figured, okay, I want stereo bongos. And but where do I put the mics? So I decided to put my sort of higher quality gauge mic um, above the, the uh, bongos. And then I put the other one 90 degrees. So here are the bongos, mm -hmm. okay? A mic on top and then a mic kind of perpendicular to that. Right. So what that means is when you hit the bongos, they're the waves that are going like that and then they're the waves kind of going like that. And they're not the same wave, waveform. So you can kind of capture it stereo, even though there, it's not like what you think of as stereo. But then what I did was in the library, I took the mic on top and on the high bongo, I might pan it left 
And then the other mic, I would pan it right. And then I took, I made the, for the left bongo, it louder on the left, and then for the right bongo, louder on the right. So I reversed it for the other bongo. Right. And so you end up with a stereo kind of a sound, <laughs> but um, uh, it's, it's really completely orthogonal kind of a waveform. So they, they don't just I, like step on each other. I don't even know other. what that word means. I'm not going to pretend. <laughs> Say that word again. Orthogonal. Oh, orthogonal. They're, they're had... 90 degrees apart. Right. I thought different... I had one of those removed by a doctor. Once, but okay. <laughs> Where's your orthogonal? Oh, anyway, but, but so, and I think they sound great. In fact, you know, you put a little bit of reverb on them and they come alive. Right. I, the reason I asked which mics you is, I remember one time spending better part of an afternoon trying to decide what the definitive bongo mic was, mm -hmm. and we ended up with 57s, just plain old garden variety, sure, 57s sounded right. amazing on bongos. Right. Why, I do not know, but they did. Well, uh, but I'm just, not surprised that the gauges sounded really good, because those mics, I mean, yeah, they sounded great on so much stuff. Yeah. All right, so now what I want to do with our remaining time, are we going to go to? We're going 5.30. Okay, 5.30. So I brought up um, <clears throat> Catwalk, the, the demo that I played. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we can now, if, if you want, we can listen to some of these instruments. Like, for example, let me bring up just the flute. Uh, so I'm going to solo the flute part. So you can kind of hear. If Henry Mancini were still alive, he'd be impressed with that. Good, I like him, Henry Mancini. Oh, you know what? It would help to plug in. Yeah. Yeah. Minor technicality. What is the sound? Uh, oh. oh, did you turn it off? Yep. I'm down. Uh, okay. Hopefully this will work. Mm, not so much. You know what? I think. Uh, okay, give me a second here. You know what they say about working with animals and children, right? Nobody ever, I mean, who was that said that? Jack Benny? Ed Sullivan? Whoever it was didn't on a computer. Let's see if this works. I think what's happening is I plugged in the... Uh, is your volume up on that gizmo? I think so. It was, yeah. Got to get this to work. Go. Okay, I don't know why it was. WC working. Fields, thank you. Alright, let's try it again. So this is now just the flute. Okay. Oh, I know why, because I this is where the flute begins. You have a flute mute. Tongue. 
So every time you hear something like, Bella, I'm not doing the notes. That's an articulation. Okay. And that's why it sounds so real. And that was Eric on flute. That was Eric on flute, which is not his main instrument. Right? But he was um, yeah, pretty amazing. Um, okay, let's see. Let's listen to, um, I'm going to put on, uh, there was a little kind of a break where, um, let's see, where was it? Where the bass had a little solo with the uh, saxophones. Russell's in the house. Hey, Russell. Let's see. I think it starts right here. So right here, there's going to be a little bit of a kind of a solo between going between the bass, the baritone sax, um, and the uh, tenor sax. So I'm going to solo just those so you can kind of hear what's going on with uh, these instruments. Let's now listen to the drum part. The, the drums were kind of going crazy during that little And this, thing. the drums are not your library. Drums are not my library. Superior drummer, he says? Uh, superior drummer. No, wait, 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 wait. Let's just get the drums. Another drum. Were you alive in 1941? <laughs> <laughs> my my first trumpet uh, teacher yeah. was a very famous trumpet player named Ziggy Elman. Okay. Who um, he played with Benny Goodman. Uh, had uh, he played with Tommy Dorsey. He was kind of their like, featured star trump uh, trumpet player, and uh, interesting guy. All right, I think this might be the other drum part that. Here, the, um, the one, the thing I just wanted to really point out is um, what I like about Superior Drummer is when you have a snare drum, you don't just have a hit. Right. You have flams, you have roughs, rolls, you have side stick, rim shots. And from what I hear, the new Superior Drummer is like even way more mind blowing on that stuff than, than this version. So I need I to. Wait. I need to get it. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I. I did a lot of you can hear little roughs kind of mm -hmm. or rolls kind of going in and you can't play that it, it won't sound right especially if you're hand entering the notes but if you've got you know the articulations where it's it's kind of doing the rolls you can yeah. make it kind of sound a little more realistic it sounds you know, incredibly realistic the, the problem with my drums is they're they're perfect right um, so let me say a little bit about the mix itself um, all right so 
I had the most amazing thing happen to me about four, five years ago. Um, I was so frustrated with my mixes. Like, what am I doing wrong? How can I make my mixes sound better? And I pulled out a Gordon Goodwin uh, CD that I have. And I decided I'm going to go find out who the recording engineer was and see if I can talk to him. What did you do to make, you know, Gordon Goodwin's Big Fat Band sound so incredible? And um, so I looked up the name and, okay, there was a guy by the name of Tommy Vicari. Okay. And all right. So I kind of sat on that for a while. Well, anyway, about six months later, um, a friend of a friend was invited to Sammy Nestico's Christmas party. Sammy Nestico is a famous big band composer. He's composed for guys like Frank Sinatra. He's, He's an old guy. Okay. He, so and he lives in San Diego. And uh, this friend of a friend happened to be uh, his the, the, the post person, the person who you know would deliver his mail, and she was invited to uh, his Christmas party. And so I'm there, and uh, Sammy Nestico, he's talking to this guy who, it's becoming obvious to me, he was recording Sammy Nestico's uh, you know, uh, CDs. Uh, and next thing you know, they're talking about Gordon Goodwin and Wayne Bergeron and Eric Marienthal and Andy Martin and how the recording went for Gordon Goodwin's Big Fat Band, and it's Tommy Vicari. I'm like, oh my gosh. And uh, he lives in San Diego? I don't know where Tom, I don't think so. I think Tommy Vicari lives in uh, in L.A., Hollywood, probably. Yeah. But so I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, how do I pick this guy's brain without being obnoxious? <laughs> but I want obnoxious. to talk to this guy. He would have been so thrilled just to know that you cared that much. It, it was such an answer to prayer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Tommy was the nicest guy, and he began to draw on a napkin for me, like what he does. Wow. He was so cool, and, I'm, and I was doing everything wrong. So what he told me to do okay. was special so, attention. So this is how he does his big band, and this is now how I do my big bands. The trumpet goes, the first trumpet goes right up the middle. Put the second trumpet and third trumpet a little bit left and a little bit right. Okay? So you get a little stereo. Then put the bass trombone like hard left and move the trombones so that the first trombone is near the middle but a little bit to the right. And then the saxophone section goes. So you have your like alto, sax, tenor, and then he has the baritone kind of hard right. And I'm thinking to myself, that doesn't make sense. Why would you put the baritone and the bass trombone, the two lowest instruments, why don't you put them in the middle? Don't you normally put the bass in the middle? To get you know? the additive effect of them sounding like stereo and something in the middle. And to get the in the middle. And he said, you know, a lot of times um, the baritone sax and the bass trombone are playing the same part. Right. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. All right. <laughs> because I, I was thinking, okay, put the trombones maybe over the left and put the trumpets to the right. And you have this wall of sound. And it always sounds unbalanced because the trumpets are coming harsh and um, like the right. And the trombones aren't quite making up for it. And it just doesn't sound balanced. Right. And, um, and then he told me, yeah, put the piano, like in the guitar, right, left, wherever you want to put those. Put the bass right up the middle, um, you know, and the drums and so on. And, okay, so that was like clean up where I'm mixing, where I'm putting the instruments. And and then I realized with the saxophone section, it's really good to like divide the saxophones almost into two sections. Hmm. So I think of the baritone and the tenor like as one little group, and then the alto 
and maybe the soprano as another group, then they'll trade off. I don't just have them all playing. So sometimes it'll be, you know, the sound will be coming more from the right. And what if they're come doing the something like unison stabs or something? And if they are, then you put that all in there too. Then okay. That's fine. But, you know, you want to get some movement, right? So you get this, it's not just this wall of sound, but mm -hmm. things are moving around and get, making it interesting. Um, so that helped me a lot. And then another thing I, I recently did, so there's several kind of, I feel like I'm so dumb sometimes for it taking me so long to figure this out, you know, but, uh, I, you know, I, how do I get my drums to sound good? And finally, I just decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use a studio drummer or stu studio or, uh, yeah, studio drummer. Yeah. The studio uh, or, su or superior drummer. Superior drummer. Oh, okay. I, I thought you meant stuff. a studio drummer. Gotcha. No, there's okay. uh, contact as another library called studio drummer, superior drummer. Yeah. But I'm just going to use one of their professionally edited uh, presets. Okay. Instead of me trying to like get all the drums where I want, I'm going to use the preset. And like, okay, this sounds way better than anything I do. And, but the one big difference that it was always messing up my mixes is I would take, uh, so the, the drum kit I use has five toms and I would pan them left to right, the high tom over mm -hmm. the left, and you know the, the low floor tom all the way on the right, and you know when you do something with toms, you might go da -da -da -da, and the accent right. is on the low tom, you know all the way to the right. And my mixes would always have this like these peaks on the right channel where I would hit the the tom, that low tom. Well, this particular preset put that low tom back in the middle, so it would pan left to right, but then put the low tom back in the middle, which is. I get it, but depending on the parts, it could cause a phase problem of untold. Who knows? But it sounds because, great. I because thought. you've got overheads that are picking up the floor tom, too. So now yeah. you've got the phase differential between what the overhead on the floor tom is picking up and the actual floor tom like being panned to the middle. But depending on the part, it could that's be where That's where this guy panned it. Yeah. And I'm like, it sounds way better. And it actually has kind of a cool effect because there's actually even more movement because it's going left to right and then back instead mm -hmm. of just left to right. There's even a little more movement to it. And it feels like there's more of an accent, especially when you hit the kick drum on that final hit as well. Right. Seems to work better. Okay. Then I did one more thing in my mixes. And, and this is where um, uh, I want you to do a test. And you guys, you know, watching, you won't oh, be able to see. I had the option of taking this test before the show or being completely <laughs> ignorant. I'm going with ignorant. All right. So <clears throat> what I did, and, and I'll talk more about this in my class. And by the way, um, I'm teaching two classes. Uh, one of them is on audio. And everybody who comes to that class will get a free uh, sample library. Wow. Um, I give, I, I typically do this. I, uh, I'm giving, I give away the uh, original screaming trumpet library that I, with Wayne Bergeron, that I originally sold for $299, sold a lot of them. Um, you know, we have kind of the next generation version of that. I'm hoping to like the library and maybe even want to uh, buy some of our other libraries. And um, I'm offer, I always offer a huge discount to uh, taxi members on my libraries. Um, it's about, I think I'm offering about 50% off the libraries. Uh, and you're doing a booth at the rally, and right? I, I'll have a booth at the rally, so come and see me. And then we're teaching another class. I'm teaching it with a friend of mine, Mike Green, who oh, yeah, um, you mentioned him he uh, is a very experienced guy. He's also a sample library developer, but also a very successful composer. 
And in fact, he was the guy who wrote Bill Knight, the science guy, the music for that, that uh, won the Emmy for that. And uh, But the thing about Mike is he's so ridiculously knowledgeable. And we did this uh, two or three years ago, and the two of us taught the class, and about 10 minutes in, I realized, Jeff, just be quiet, let Mike talk, because he, he was giving such fantastic feedback. And we probably had 35, maybe, people in the class, and we got through everybody's CD. We were able to play wow. everybody's uh, you know, music and, get, and give everybody some really, really good feedback. Can you record that for me or have somebody shoot it on a phone so I can watch yeah, it? Yeah, we can, we can try to do that. Mike was amazing. Um, and, you know, he would, the insights that Mike had was uh, ridiculous. Like, he'd be like, oh, that's a great composition, but I can tell you're using this sample library that's so dated, nobody uses that anymore. It's a giveaway. It's like old, you know, that yeah. like, you're not going anywhere with that sound. We hear that a lot here, uh, where we hear stuff that's compositionally, I would even go as far as saying compositionally brilliant, and they're using like stuff that sounds like it came off of DX7 in 1987. Yeah. And it's like, why? Why would you work that hard on your comp and be that crappy on your samples? I, mean, yeah. I don't know why people don't care. So Mike, you know, and, and the sample might sound cool, you just don't know that, oh, that's like in, within the community, that's yeah. overdone. You know, you wouldn't know. Um, anyway, so Mike is amazing, and we're gonna uh, do that class also. But I hope, uh, I hope, you know, those of you watching will come to our classes. Um, I tried to make it so that my class didn't compete with some of the other, um, you know, guys. That uh, there's honestly so much great stuff this year that had to be a challenge. By the way, just so you guys know, most of the stuff is up now. Uh, if you go to taxi.com/rally with a small r, it will take you to the rally page. It shows you the ballroom panels. Um, the mentor bios and the class schedule and maybe even class descriptions. We're still filling in other stuff. And for those of you who are asking, tomorrow is the day that I hope we're able to roll out the signups for the mentor lunches. So keep your eyes peeled for that email. Um, I had something else to tell you about the rally. Other just people are really happy with the schedule. Even Bria said, well, best schedule ever. So I'm happy that she said that because I've worked really hard to you guys know i don't just it's like who can we get that's a big deal and put on these panels it's really thought through so that i take a very holistic approach so that from the beginning of the rally to the end of the rally you walk out there going i just got like four years of better than college education and it took place in a sequence so i really get it and uh oh we're also adding other mentors um some fairly can I say not big name people, but very desirable people. Uh, either library owners, a couple of supervisors that I've already got coming and have said, yes, I'll do other stuff. Now we're just trying to work out the timing of it. So we're filling in. All right. Anyway. This is not a good sign because I'm trying to bring up one of the... Uh, uh, you're getting the uh, spinning wheel of death. Dang. Let's see if it... All right. But I actually have it on here. Okay. Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, I have it not on there. Let me see if I can give this a second. All right, so look, while this is spinning, maybe it'll come back. Um, <laughs> so here's what I did. And I, I played this for Rob Shirelli last year. And he was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. You, you didn't quite know what to make of it. Um, well, maybe no I'll more spinning wheel. No more spinning wheel. So what I did was trying to improve 
you know, uh, my mix. How do I make it sound more stereo, more clean? I want it to sound lush with lots of reverb, but I know the reverb will just muddy it up. So how do I keep it, you know, sounding lush, but really stereo? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what I did was I know that, so as I'm looking at you, suppose, you know, you're playing the flute and I'm looking straight at you. Well, the sound is going to come to both my ears at the same time. If I pan the flute to the left, so it's coming from to the left, to my left, to which way? I know, uh, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'm heartened by the so fact that somebody's got a PhD coming, can't get this right either. Coming from my left, uh, the, the sound is actually going to hit my left ear first, and then right. it's going to kind of wrap around my head and go to my right ear. And the question was, do we really notice that delay? Does that help? make something sound more stereo and that's clearly part of you know if you have 3d virtual audio you have to it's the whole science kind of, of psychoacoustics yeah right so all of my um every wind instrument and the guitars oh, and the yeah. piano um <clears throat> i just i looked at where i panned it oh and i put a little delay if it's coming from the left i delayed the right ear if i, if I had an instrument panned to the right I delay the left ear. There are actually yeah. studies that tell you how many milliseconds. I calculated what it. Of course be. you did. But it was, it was based <laughs> on a simple calculation. Just a simple. I used to have a binaural head, you know, microphone that I used as a room mic back in the mid or late seventies, and we actually um, ordered up a, a different head that had a density more closely related to a human head. Yeah, and affected all of the, yeah. That, that's really more of like. Like the real science is yeah. doing what you just said, but I thought, well, let's just do something simple, right? Just a little delay, okay. and you know, the the delay, like like typically when you put delay, like on a guitar, it might be 15, 20 milliseconds. The only the amount of delay you need for this effect is about like anywhere from 0.3 to maybe 0 0.6, 0 0.7 milliseconds. It's not a lot. And so that's just for those of you who don't know your milliseconds, it's not discernible typically uh i mean I, I don't even remember where the threshold is but i think the threshold is something up around 50 milliseconds before you can really start to easily discern it here we go all right so what i'm going to do is i'm going to turn off the reverb and i'm going to turn off that delay and i want you Ooh. to listen let me let me uh hopefully we'll be at a good level Which is left, which is right? Uh, I think this way. All right, so you guys are hearing it playing. It's, this is a completely dry flute. All right, so now I'm going to turn on that little delay, and you tell me what you hear. Putting it back now, dry. Uh, with the delay, um, it's over here, and I hear a little room over there, ever so slight. Without the delay, it's coming down the middle. So, so we have <clears throat> the, the flute is panned something like thirty to the left, okay. and when you hear it, like the way your normal panning would work, it just sounds flat. It's coming in. 
and it sounds like it's a little louder on the left than the right. You put the delay in, and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, it's coming from this direction. Mm -hmm. Now imagine you've got this big ensemble where all the instruments are like, oh my gosh, they're coming from the actual direction I'm panning it. They're not on top of each other. They, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like you're getting a cleaner uh, mix. And it doesn't work as well with speakers, but when you have earphones or even better, you know, earbuds going right into your ear, there's no phase cancellation or any of that kind of stuff that can happen. And a lot of people are listening more and more to music with earbuds. And well, sadly, a lot of the people listening to music on earbuds are, are teenagers that will often listen with just one earbud, yeah, which blows yeah. my mind. But, but what's so freaky is um, you n definitely notice it was sounding louder coming yeah. out of the left ear. Oh, absolutely. I didn't change the volume at all. It's exactly the same volume. It's just the delay. Just because of the relative, yeah. And wow. so, so I put that in there, and then on each track, I gave each track its own reverb. Okay. okay. And the reason why I put some reverb on each track, and I'm almost done. That's that's okay. Um, I'm just go a little over. On each track is because then I pan the reverb with the track. So if I had a track panned all the way to the left. Mm -hmm the reverb would only be coming from the left. Normal reverb, even if you had something to the left, you get a stereo reverb and you're going to hear it well, ears. Again, depends on the engineer. And I disagree with my fellow engineers who I used to see spend countless hours. I swear, it was just smoke and mirrors. They were trying to get more money. But they would sit there and take something that they panned to the left and add a little delay to the right yeah. and then have, you know, pre-delay on the reverb and the reverb was showing up mostly on the right. They're yeah. sitting there doing this, anytime I used to see my fellow engineers doing this, <laughs> doing that, I knew they were just going for the deeper pockets because so, it was on a record right, company. Right. So, all right. so here's why I did what I did. Yeah. So the, the phase trick gives me a little more stereo. Panning the reverb with the instrument gives me a little more stereo. It doesn't muddy it up so much. And when I have a big right. ensemble, I kind of want that. And then what I did was at the final mix, I put more reverb in to to make it fill in, but not a lot. Just and enough. was it the same reverb applied to anything that you added? Reverb it was the same, just one the reverb, same not kind of six reverb. different kinds. And, okay. and one of the differences is the drums, I gave it a lot more reverb because I didn't play that trick with the drums. Mm -hmm. so, the, so the drums and the bongos, um, not, I don't think I did anything with the electric guitars, maybe a tiny bit, nothing with the bass. The bass stuff, you know, is kind of a line in and so on. But, um, and the goal was to give it this live, you know, like it's, it's you, hopefully you feel like you're, you're right there hearing it. It doesn't sound like some muddy mix, but it sounds lush. Yeah. And, and by putting the reverb on each track, I think of it like, okay, you have a mic on the instrument, but there's a lot of room in that mic. It's a little further back, so you're getting some of the room in the mic. That's what it would kind of sound like with the reverb. And then you're, you're mixing that and, and then bringing in something to just fill it in to make it sound like everybody's in the same space. That's what a lot of people blow with. Reverb and delays, they don't understand the, the continuity that counts for so much. When you, when you start adding different reverbs and different delays to different instruments because it sounds appropriate on each, and sounds sexy on each one, you right. put it all together and you've got five different rooms happening and it just yeah. doesn't work. The other thing I did was I listened to Tommy Vicari, and I actually listened to, there was some wisdom that Rob Shirelli gave in one of his classes that I never listened to until recently. And he said, you know what, when I make a mix, it's perfect. 
and I don't want the mastering guys to screw with it. And, you know, and I would do, I used to do kind of a lot in my mastering, but I'm like, why? Yeah. I'm, I'm mixing. I have full control over every track. Why not make everything sound as good as I can possibly make it? And then the mastering becomes kind of easy. Mm -hmm. Just try to get it to be a little louder and, you know, fix a few minor things. But if I, you know, if I think something isn't EQ'd right, do it in the mix. And Tommy Vicari told me he puts a little bit of compression on all the winds. Hmm. I'm like, why? Why would I do that with a sample library? Because I can control that. There shouldn't be any hot spots. I shouldn't need compression. And he said, because it makes it actually sound a little warmer, a little better. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that happens is when you're mixing, you're getting all these tracks adding up and some are like, if you looked at the waveform, some are high, some are low, and they're all adding up and you're going to get these peaks. Um, so to, to, you know, I used to during the master and try to eliminate those peaks, maybe use multi-band compression and all that. I'm like, why? I can just do it in the mix. I can fix it in the mix. The, you know, if you're doing everything yourself, then there's no reason to be going crazy Everybody's in the Everybody's looking for the magic fairy dust that makes stuff sound like a record. That's the yeah. one thing everybody wants in the end is why doesn't my stuff sound like the stuff coming out of my car radio? Yeah. And there are about 10 reasons for that, but that's what everybody shoots for. And I can understand if you're, if you're like making an album, you know, but if you're producing multiple, you know, compositions a week trying to submit to list, listening, you're not sending your stuff out to get mastered by a professional. You know it yourself. And frankly, uh, an instrumental cue playing under an episode of the Kardashians, the mastering doesn't matter all that much. Yeah. So anyway, those were just, you know, it's like, okay, listen to what some of these guys that really know what they're talking about. And, you know, uh, you listen to what they say and, and they're, they know what they're doing. And I might know a few things too, and I'd like to play with things and experiment. But uh, well, this stuff, uh, the library, unbelievably, impressive and we are going to pick three winners today that are going to get uh what are they getting um so the library that i, I typically give away is the screaming trumpet mm -hmm. so it's an amazing library uh with wayne bergeron um it's uh one of one of my uh customers I, he likes to describe it as his secret weapon okay uses, you know like he pulls it out and he's got wayne bergeron hitting that screaming high note leaving the trumpets and that's that's why his uh, track sounds so great, and I'm, it's funny because I, I kind of discover as I sometimes get to meet some of my customers or I I talk with them, and you know it, it's kind of uh, amazing who are actually using these libraries. It's not you know there there's some people that are hobbyists, yeah. but but really uh, you know most of the people using my libraries they're all the top kind of guys, and they don't talk about it. They just they just use it and do their work and. You know, humble and i kind of find out after the fact nice you know who they are and what they do um here's the little known fact when i was at westlake studios a couple of weeks ago after we finished up taxi tv they were playing some multi-track masters they had sitting around and one of the things they played was more than a feeling by the band boston and mm -hmm. you know where it goes up that really high note that you think is a guitar uh, i, I yeah. wouldn't even attempt to sing it but my entire life now for you know 40 some years I thought that that was in fact a sustained guitar note it's a vocal note wow steeped in reverb oh and when God. you hear it by itself you have to sit there and like really wow that's a vocal 
Wow. It's really cool. <laughs> Not that that meant anything, but you guys need to know this stuff. You really do. Uh, okay, so let's pick some winners. Bria, sure. can you do the magic thing? Do you have, you have the chat room open, right? Yeah. So can you be the flying the finger list, of what? The list of people in the chat or? Yeah, I'm going to have them do plus ones oh, and then okay, just okay. run your finger up and down, shut your eyes and bingo, bango, whoever you've got. All right, so you guys get ready. Get your fingers ready because you're going to do a plus one. And um, and Bria will pick three of you. And if you want to holler them out, I'll write them down. Then um, ultimately, okay, there they go. In, so I'll just scroll up and down. All right. First one. All right, it is Joe Holt. Joe Holt is hey, a winner. Congratulations. Number two. Wow, a lot of people. Dave Krop. Dave Krop. How do you, I don't know how you pronounce it. K R O P F, right? Yeah. Congratulations, Dave. Sorry, I'm going a little crazy. They're called. Wow, they're making the CPU on my computer work really hard. Sacred Fire Music. <laughs> Sacred Fire Music. Okay, so each of you needs to send an email to Bria at taxi.com. Or what? you could do taxi TV at taxi.com. Oh, okay. Then Ta we don't have to spell my name. <laughs> All right, taxi TV at taxi.com. That is taxi, T A X I TV at taxi.com. And Bria. We'll get your emails, send them to Jeff, and Jeff will send you the keys to right. download the software. Or if um, you want, uh, come to my, also, all of you, the rest of you, come to my class and you'll all get a free copy of it. Absolutely. Um, and even if um, you're one of the three, come to the class and you'll get a hard copy of the library too. That's great. Nice. Hey, you have a bundle of all the stuff, right? How right, much does right. the bundle cost? So the bundle, which means electric guitar, electric bass, the, uh, all the woodwinds, the, all the trumpets, and all the trombones. And the trumpets, remember, it's trumpet, it's uh, you know, uh, straight mute, cut mute, harmon mute. These are full libraries. They're not just a, you know, they're, right. they're, they're full instruments. Um, plunger mutes, uh, flugelhorn, and piccolo trumpet. Um, and then trombone also comes with the bass trombone and all the mutes, the plungers, and the harmons, and all that kind of stuff. So these are giant, giant libraries wow. played by the best guys. And how much is the bundle? And so for everything, the list price is fourteen ninety nine, and um, fifteen I'm, bucks for all that. That's kinda, amazing, Jeff. Yeah, I, I don't know how I can stay in business this way. <laughs> I think he's talking fourteen hundred. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm I'm going to sell them for half price. To wow! At the, at the rally. At the rally. Awesome. All right. And, so, uh, and any anything I sell, you don't have to buy the bundle. If you want to buy individual instruments, I'll sell them half price. Awesome. And I haven't offered this. I don't offer this to anyone else. It's just taxi. Come and see them at the at the road rally. I mean, this is the spirit of taxi. You know, you're a member. Yeah. And you're a sponsor, so that everybody gets free seats, and you're selling your stuff at half price. Yeah, and come so. and learn some audio, and get your CD played, and have Mike Green give you incredible. Uh, his exactly. booth will be across from the ballroom doors in the, across from the main ballroom. So with that, um, I can't remember what my show is next week, but I know that I've got one booked. Um, Jeff, thank you so much, man. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Fascinating. Just really mind-blowing. Yes, Bria? Oh, Bria's reminding me if I can give you those for a second. Shoot, I should have held that up at the beginning of the show. Don't forget. 
like and subscribe okay now that we're on YouTube hit that sucker and if you're not already subscribing you know that little uh, subscribe thing down the corner right around there subscribe see you guys next week for another like super duper exciting version of taxi TV live baby there it is all right see you guys see you next week